Kia I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, masks. Why aren't you wearing a mask? Answer him! I was asking you. Because I got antibodies! And you think this makes you immune? What if I told you I just discovered a cure? And you would never have to worry about wearing a mask ever again. As COVID community cases fall and New Zealand cautiously cycles back its alert levels, one highly visible precaution is staying. As I've said many times, Delta has changed the game, so in order to beat it, we've had to adapt our game plan too. Now, face coverings must be worn in most public venues, such as shops, malls and libraries, except, of course, when eating or drinking at a bar or restaurant. It's level two, but with a twist. While people have more freedoms, they still have to wear a mask inside retail stores. And it's not just retail stores. On public transport, in taxis and Ubers, in museums, libraries, courts, and at your workplace if your work involves contact with customers. Now, this is nothing new, especially. We're all pretty used to wearing masks by now. But what about the future? Like, is this it? Even in level two, in level one, is there an end in sight? Today on the podcast, why masks are a crucial part of New Zealand's COVID strategy as we continue to expand our freedoms. Why, even if they're inconvenient and a bit dehumanising, they're here to stay. And why actually that could be a good thing moving forward. Professor Michael Baker, welcome to The Detail. Oh, kia ora, Emil. We're going to be talking about masks over the next few minutes, and so I thought that maybe we could begin at a really, really fundamental level. Why are we wearing masks in this outbreak? What is their function in this pandemic? Is it to keep us safe from the virus? Yes. Ultimately, a lot of what we're doing is about preventing transmission of this respiratory virus from people who are infected to those who are not infected. If we stop that, there is no more pandemic. There's no outbreak. It finishes. We can think of other areas. I mean, if it was a foodborne disease, you would be preventing people eating contaminated food. If it was um, transmitted, say, a skin infection, uh, you'd look at how it's getting from one person's skin to another by direct contact. Uh, So this is a respiratory pathogen. It basically latches onto cells in your upper airways and viruses have to attach to receptor sites and they have to get inside the cell and then they they hijack the machinery of the cell to make more copies of themselves. They kill the cell and then you start to get all sorts of other effects. So it's evolved to, to transmit from person to person as a respiratory infection. And the main way it does that is on respiratory droplets and aerosols and so people generate these just by breathing by talking laughing singing shouting and even coughing and sneezing so uh, all those activities they basically uh, fire out uh, these little droplets that have a limited range and aerosols and i say if you imagine what the virus is doing if you take a can can of fly spray and you fire that off, you look at where that aerosol might go, it can fill a whole room. And over time, we've learned that that's how the virus is being transmitted. The way masks work is that they provide um, two barriers against the virus getting from 
the source person to the people in the room. The first barrier is when you're wearing a mask is that that basically intercepts the, many of the, the small droplets. It will have less effect on the aerosol, but it will stop a lot of those droplets going out into the room. Even a, quite a basic mask will stop um, a lot of those infectious droplets and aerosols getting into the room. The other benefit is that everyone else is wearing a mask. This provides a barrier uh, to um, entry of the virus. It's not, um, I mean, typically uh, basic non-hospital grade masks provide only an average barrier against the entry of the virus, all these particles, but it's certainly better than nothing. But if everyone's wearing masks, you've got both a source control and you've got some personal protection as well. Michael, the advice around mask usage over the course of the pandemic has changed sort of dramatically. As the information changes, then you have to be flexible enough and humble enough to be able to change how you think about things. And I think, you know, one of the important things that we're emphasizing right now that really evolved from a situation that did change is our insistence now on wearing masks. I think I'm right in saying that in the early stages of the pandemic, there was sort of a little bit of dubiousness certainly among the public, as to whether masks were even effective, what sort of function they, they kind of served. I mean, has, how has the advice around masks kind of developed and evolved over the course of this pandemic? Yes, well, I think at the start of the pandemic, and I, was, I had the same view, that masks were really designed particularly for healthcare workers as personal protection equipment, PPE. And we all know that there's many reasons why we need to protect our health workforce. I mean, they're um, seeing sick people on a daily basis. They're doing procedures in in the hospital setting um, and um, particularly in intensive care units. They're uh, putting in breathing tubes and all sorts of things. So they're heavily exposed to these respiratory droplets and secretions from sick people. And it's vital that they don't get sick. So the, the, the standard for PPE in a hospital environment is very high. And I think initially in the, the pandemic, we are thinking, many of us were thinking, well, it's not really practical for the public to get, you know, have that level of protection. So we've felt that, and I think the World Health Organization also said this, we've got to preserve our masks for uh, healthcare workers, the health system, because the supply was limited. But then... Um, I started reading more about the other use of masking, and this is called mass masking or universal masking. And there, the benefit is that you're you're not expecting it to necessarily prevent you getting infected from the virus all the time. It's meant to reduce transmission. And also the idea of source control, that actually people wearing masks has that additional benefit of preventing them infecting the people around them. And so it's a basically a completely different philosophy around mass masking or universal masking. It's designed to dampen down transmission. And as soon as you realize that, it actually means that fabric masks have a role and um, uh, the idea you're not having to supply the entire public with masks. They have to maybe change several times a day and something that's just logistically impossible. Here you've got something that is actually a cheap Uh, effective intervention that will dampen down transmission. Mm. So it's a different approach. And it took me months into the pandemic to actually uh, read more about this and realise that this is actually a different approach that we should uh, be using.
Here's one of our other well-known COVID commentators, Dr. Susie Wiles. If you have COVID-19 and don't know it, they will help uh, you know, reduce the amount of virus that you're spreading. And if you are on the receiving end, will help reduce the amount that you're getting. So they're, they're for everybody to consider because any one of us could be infectious. At alert level two, the hope is that nobody is infectious. Everybody is stuck, who's infectious is stuck in Auckland. But they are a way that um, if there is an infection in the community, will help to reduce the amount of transmission that happens. So try to think of it not as a protecting you from somebody else, but protecting others from you as well. All right, so the whole country bar Auckland has now dropped to level two. Um and yet, as the Prime Minister has said, you know, this is really a, this is a slightly different level two. It's kind of a delta level two, and it doesn't include compulsory face masking in many indoor situations. This is what you recommended when the government was considering moving down to level two. So why is that? Well, it, it, it's interesting to think about what the um, alert level below the stay-at-home orders, that's alert level four and three, the, uh, what the, the lower alert levels are trying to do. So... We know that alert level three and four essentially tells everyone stay at home uh, unless you have a good reason to be out, um, you're an essential worker or you're getting essential supplies. And alert level three is um, similar but less stringent. So that, they're designed to stamp out the outbreak. So that's they're used where there's active transmission. And it's certainly working in Auckland at the moment. We're seeing the, the reproduction number being pushed down below one. So... We know the outbreak has been effectively stamped out. But the lower alert levels are to provide additional um, backup if we get an unexpected case occurring in the community. And at the moment, for example, in Auckland, we could have, we have people crossing the border. 3,000 people a day are driving out of Auckland as essential workers, and people are flying out. They're going all around the country. Now, we know that the system is not perfect that uh, there's a chance that one of those people may have um, escaped screening and other measures and be asymptomatic, for example. So we have to try and put a barrier in the way of the virus in case those people are, are infectious. And so uh, masking is a, is a very useful um, step. If they're wearing a mask in those interactions, that reduces the chance that they can infect people they're interacting with. And other aspects of alert level two are again designed to dampen down transmission risk and it would reduce the size of an outbreak if it occurs. Okay, so is this sort of like a situation where we're kind of waging a total war on the virus? Here is the thing that we can do, which is easy to do, it's scalable, it's cheap, it's effective, and in concert with everything else we have in the toolkit, um, it it would almost be silly and borderline neglectful not to do it. Yes, and we have to think the system we had before when we um, first encountered this virus, and I think New Zealand developed what is really world-class alert level system, was based on the knowledge of the virus then, and it wasn't really treating it as a respiratory pathogen so much. And it, and we used the physical distancing, you know, the one-metre rule and two-metre rule. We now know that that doesn't really help you very much at alert level two. So you've got people... Uh, you know, interacting indoors um, and they're keeping, you know, a metre apart if it's with a workmate or two metres if it's a member of the public. It doesn't give you much protection for a um, a virus that's transmitted as an aerosol. Mm. So that's why I think the the revised alert level 
system with um, mask use is likely to be much more effective. And I suppose as well, it's easier and more measurable to say everybody has to wear a mask than it is to say everybody must keep two metres apart and break out the tape measure. Uh, you know, the police wandering around with um, brightly coloured tape measures. Oh, very much so. Uh, I mean, I th- always think you can always tell if someone's wearing a mask, but you can't tell if they've washed their hands. Mm. Uh, so, uh, and I think you're right about the physical distancing. We've all been there. We've seen attempts by our organisations and business operators to get that physical separation and um, even supermarket queues and just how much there's, there's quite a bit of creep, if you like, of mm. people do get closer together and sometimes they're forced closer together by the the, the the setup and also when people know each other they get closer together uh, it's just human nature so uh, I, I do think masks have that benefit it's an added safety it's an added layer of security and people do think about the multi-barrier approach in this health protection area that relying on one line of defense is, is not usually good enough I don't know how you feel about mask wearing but from my point of view, anyway, it's not the most desirable situation. I think, I, you know, like they they kind of they do slightly dehumanise human interactions a wee bit. For me, they introduce this sort of inherent suspicion. They are very visible. They're sort of like a symbol of the virus. But presumably, we're not mandating this lightly, Michael. It clearly is going to be beneficial for society. Yes, uh, look, I I feel um, that same concern about the entire pandemic response. And, uh, you know, I think anyone who's looked at what we're doing, it's terribly disruptive. There's so many aspects of it. But I always say it's the least bad choice. If mask use enables us to come out of lockdown faster, I think it's worthwhile. Um, I don't think that, um, I mean, it's not forever, mask use, well, not in, uh, at, this, at the level that we're talking about at the moment, I think that it is going to be there for the foreseeable future in some settings. And I think about uh, transport, obviously, public transport, aircraft, and I think probably healthcare settings, I think people really do need to be wearing masks. And if you go into your doctor's waiting room, I know that even prior to the pandemic, I talk with doctors quite a bit about this, and they have often felt concerned that people, in particularly in winter, are going into their surgeries, sitting in the waiting room, potentially coughing, and um, even just with influenza, sh- sharing quite dangerous viruses mm. around. And there is a concern that um, uh, healthcare settings can actually be a site where there's a lot of infection transmission, and this has got a long history of this. And so I, I do think that one of the you know, beneficial effects of the pandemic, if there is is some silver lining to it, is we've got much more conscious of infection prevention and control. And I think masks, we just realise they do have a place. Yeah, well, because this is fascinating, I think, in, in that, you know, in many parts of the world, particularly East Asian countries, mask wearing has been pretty standard and widespread for years, if not decades. Is that simply a cultural thing, a population density thing, previous experiences with, with airborne viruses? Yeah, look, it's a very interesting point, and there is that you know huge cultural diversity with uh, mask using, and uh, people do relate some of it to the experience of SARS and um, after 2003, and and some Asian countries were very severely affected, and mask use got very well established then, particularly places like South Korea, for instance. 
but then other people said, yes, there's quite a long, a much longer tradition than that in, in some Asian countries. Apparently, there were in the 1918 flu pandemic, mass use was became more established in some Asian countries then, I believe. Um, but um, yes, and uh, one of the issues is that um, I always think it's a bit like the whole approach to whether you should wear a. Uh, this is not a perfect ex example, but wearing um, helmets when you're yeah. on a motorcycle or riding a bicycle. This has been you know, hotly debated in many countries, and we might find it quite strange to imagine that even, motor even wearing a, a helmet um, when you're on a motorcycle is not um, required in all, all countries mm -hmm. and all states in the US. So there is hu huge um, diversity in views about these measures that people take, in that case, to protect themselves. I mean, another ex a better example might be putting your children in a car seat, mandating car seats, and that's to protect another person that you're uh, caring for. And that has not been, um, you know, hasn't been universally accepted um, and is certainly not required internationally. Uh, but these are very much around the same line of uh, taking responsibility for the people around you, and uh, particularly when that's mandated by the state. Uh, there are, you know, obviously a lot of diversity in how people accept that the state has a role in regulating the, the common good. And Michael, just finally on this end, like I say, I understand that I'm asking you to crystal ball gaze here to a point, but I mean, what what's, if someone were to ask you for a timeline as to when we might be able to go back to, you know, late 2019 style life when it comes to mask wearing and, and you know, being able to catch buses without wearing masks and so on and so forth. I mean, is that... Are we ever going to get back to that, do you think? Well, I think uh, overall we've always had some m limited mask-wearing requirements, and it's been mainly for occupational health and safety situations. But I think uh, some uh, we've underused masks, mm -hmm. and I think we'll move back to um, a situation where most of us don't wear masks much at all, but for some very specific situations we wear them routinely, which we weren't doing before. And I think uh, it's certainly healthcare settings where I think they, they really are, they should be worn routinely in waiting areas and primary care and also in hospitals. And we haven't tended to do that in the past, which I think has almost certainly meant that people have caught things in waiting rooms um, historically. And I think that's wrong. Uh, so that's... Uh, something that will change, I think, permanently. So that's almost, that's sort of like an ironic positive to the whole COVID outbreak thing is, is bringing the efficacy and, and, and benefits of mask wearing to sort of a wider wider consciousness. Yeah, look, I absolutely agree. And uh, historically, hospitals, were, were people avoided them because when you went, this is, you know, 100 plus years ago, if you went to hospital, you would catch something. <laughs> uh, and that was actually made hospitals quite dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so... We've, we've kind of passed that era to a large degree, but not totally. So I think there's, there would be a lot of support for that from uh, healthcare workers. And if you're wondering if your fabric mask holds up against a disposable one, Dr Baker says he's all in favour of the washable cloth version, saying we're less likely to see shortages if lots of people use them. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism from NZ On Air, produced by Newsroom for RNZ. 
You can download us to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was produced by Alexi Russell and engineered by Jeremy Ansel. And thanks to Dr. Michael Baker. Matewa. <laughs>